So today we're talking uh, about how to disagree without hurting one another. And though this is a sermon that's kind of family-oriented, I want you to know that the principles that we're going to share today are applicable in every relationship in life. So it's not just, this doesn't just work for the family, it works for your friends, uh, for your co-workers, it works all across the board, and so uh, I hope you can learn, enjoy, and appreciate these principles, apply them to your life, hurting one another. A man and his wife were having some problems at home. Uh, they were giving each other the silent treatment. That's almost worse than being loud. You know, they're both, they're both uh, wrong and bad, you know, to be loud or to be silent just to hurt somebody. And suddenly the man, after the silent treatment, realized he needed his wife's help to get up at 5 a.m. to catch a plane the next morning. Well, he didn't want to tell her, so he just wrote on a note somewhere where she could pick it up, I need you to wake me up at 5 a.m. so I can catch my flight in the morning. The next morning he awakened at 7 a.m. and was furious and was going to get up and say, why didn't you wake me up? And just then he discovered a piece of paper and he looked at it and it said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. It was written right on the paper for him. Did you know that the root word for um, the devil, the, 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 the definition of that word in the Greek, one of the first definitions is to divide, the one who divides. And when it comes to these family relationships that you know, God created and ordained the family, it's something that he wanted with husband and wife and children and a home. And... Um, the enemy wants to tear apart whatever is God's, whatever's God's idea. And so he, the Bible says that he goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's you and me and our children. And we have to be aware and on our toes and we have to be watchful. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and do a great and amazing work in us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first one, you'd think it's a given in people's lives, but it's not. And unless we get here, we can't get better. It's true for every area of life. But the first thought for you today about keeping from hurting one another is decide right now that you want to do things God's way. Right? You've heard me talk about myself being a prodigal. I believed in God when I was a prodigal. I went away from him on my own. And I would hear from time to time the right thing to do, but here's the deal. I wasn't ready to do the right thing. I wanted to do it my way at that time and not God's way. And the truth is, whether large or small problem, every one of us do that at one time or another. We just think, well, I'm not, I'm not going to well, ask God about that one because I know what I want to do. I find it interesting that David was continually, you'll find these three words, or four, he inquired of the Lord. I guess that's five. Um, and in the places of life that are hard, we need to ask God, God, what do you want from me? What, what is your way? Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's talking about the holy scriptures that God gave us. All scripture is given by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives. Now listen to this. This is what the Bible's for. For correcting faults. That would be mine and yours. For teaching how to live right. Using the scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable of having all that is needed to do every good work. Why do we want people to read this every day? Why do we do the 
Horizon Bible reading journals because the Holy Spirit speaks incredibly as we daily read and it becomes applicable to our lives and we see places where we need to change and become more like God. The common thing in America, though, is for people to say, um, well, you just need to accept me the way I am. Well, here's the problem with that. What if you're rotten? Then we just need to live with it. It's kind of crude, but I just thought of this illustration. I made it up myself. It's such wisdom in it. You'll be incredibly amazed. (laughs) Let's say there's a guy sitting on his couch with a remote who decides he doesn't want to get up to go to the bathroom anymore. And he's just going to take care of his business right there. And when he feels good and ready, he'll take care of it. And he's going to relieve himself right there on the couch. Let's just say that happened. And someone challenges him and says, go, go clean yourself up. This is terrible. And he says, hey, this is my life. It's none of your business. You need to accept the way I am and the way I am is this way. And he says, what's your problem? Here's my problem. You stink. That's the problem. And Americans, I'm just telling you, we're too easy on ourselves. We make excuses for ourselves. We tell everybody else, if you love me right, then everything will be okay. And the truth is, we're not thinking about doing the right thing according to God's word. And if God's word tells us, I want the stink to come out of your life, then I think we ought to start working on it. Because here's the problem. We can do what we want and we can tell people they need to receive us and we can not seek the counsel of God's word. But if we're not careful, there's a good chance that eventually we'll drive people away from us. We can make excuses for our behavior and people will put up with it. I'm talking about human behavior on the other side now, but they may not put up with it forever. They may need to get away from you to maintain emotional health if you're really in bad shape. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So whatever my problem is, whatever your problem is, when we humbly come before the Lord and say, I want to do it your way, teach me, show me, when we seek God and search out his word and apply it to our lives and make ourselves accountable, God lets us know that I've got everything you need to be better. And here's, here's the, the point. <clears throat> he's trying to bless you. Did you know when God says, thou shalt not, he's really saying, don't hurt yourself? That's what the commands and, and the rules and <clears throat> the thoughts that God gives us are all about. He wants to bless us, not hurt us. He wants us to be a blessing, not hurt others. And so, instead of being really American and focusing on everyone else's problems, what God says is, I'd like you to read the word for yourself, not for your husband, not for your wife, not for your mom and dad. I want you to read it for yourself because I want to bless your life. Let me change you so you can be blessed and a blessing. <clears throat> the Bible's counsel is the antidote to what is ailing our relationships. Whatever the problem is, the answer's in here. Whatever our character flaws might be, the answer is in here, and God's power, His Holy Spirit, is great enough to help us change and become more like Him. 
Here's some deterrence to healthy relationships. Family upbringing was skewed and not helpful, meaning you had a really poor example growing up. Maybe that's what the silent treatment is about. You, You learned it that way. Maybe that's what the manipulation is about. Mom or dad did that to you. <clears throat> well, we can continue on those things that are bad. And, you know, sometimes mom, usually moms and dads <clears throat> are, are loving and care about us. And there's lots of good things about them, but very few of them have been perfect. And so sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes we pick up some traits that really wound us and hurt us as we go through life. Dick Foth <clears throat> said to me once, most people live out their adult lives trying to overcome their childhoods. So, I guess part of it is recognizing and realizing it's not right. The way that that was done, and I'm I'm doing similar things, and I, God help me. And then taking hold of it, and, and being responsible, because Ephesians... I mean, I mean what, are, what are the problems? They, they might have been abuse of some sort or absence or um, anger. But Ephesians 4.24 says, put on your new nature. So no matter where you've been, God says, let me change you now. Because if you don't change now, you may lose a lot more than you ever wanted to lose. I'm speaking from experience. I'm, I'm not even saying what the other person should do because I think we should be very forgiving. I'm just being real. I've just seen people who wouldn't work on their problems go through relationship after relationship and eventually they're alone. And God loves them and all the people that left them love them too. It was just so painful. So what if we just said, it's on me to get better. It's on me to grow. It's not everybody else's responsibility to make sure they walk softly around me. It's my responsibility. To, to become more like Christ. God says, I'll help you put on that new nature. <clears throat> what about anger issues? Here's a few deterrents to healthy relationships. Family upbringing, anger issue, issues. James 1.20, because anger will not help you live the right kind of life God wants. So put out of your life every evil thing and every kind of wrong. Then in gentleness, accept God's teaching that is planted in your hearts which can save you. So we need to decide, hey, the way I saw, the way I am needs to change. And God can help me. He's big enough. I mean, even God loves you unconditionally, right? But he still wants you to change. Because when we sin, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. We hurt others. Let me say that again. We hurt others when we refuse to grow. And become like Jesus. Pride is another issue. Assuming your viewpoint is always correct. I think most of us kind of are partial to our opinions, right? I mean, because you're all pretty intelligent. My, My problem is my wife is actually more intelligent than I am. But I don't want her to know it. And now I have spoken it publicly. Can you believe that? But she has this little magnet on the refrigerator. Um... And, uh, you know, she seems perfect, but she's not. I'm just telling you, all right? But she's, she's as close as anyone I've ever seen. But she, she has this little magnet that says, um, I could be wrong, but I doubt it. And it's right on the refrigerator there. The problem is she's almost always right. 
But I came up with this little saying uh, that goes like this, I would agree with you, but then we'd both have to be wrong. <laughs> so, so what happens when you get two strong-willed good people in a marriage that have two different opinions, right? Because my wife, Karen, has a very strong constitution in makeup. And she can, she can stand for herself, and she has great character and the fruit of the Spirit, but... Um, she, you know, she knows what she wants to do, right? And so I, I bet some of you don't think of her that way, but she's strong, and I like it. And she's smart, and she's intelligent. And so all along the way, you know, I, I, I tell you, I knew the two became one when we got married, but I thought the one was me. You've heard me say that before. Well, I quickly learned that it's not just me, and that if we'll put our hearts and heads together, uh, that the Lord will help us. And here's the deal. Sometimes we can't agree. What do you do when you can't agree? Well, you disagree agreeably. You keep a good spirit. Now, I know on the most important things in life, it's a, you gotta get on the same page. And I think in the key important decisions of life that God will help us get on the same page. But we're just gonna have different opinions at times. Even politically. Have you seen that in marriages? And we need to allow that person to, to have their own thoughts. My problem, and I have it everywhere, not just, not just in marriage. One of my problems is I really think that I know it so well that if I tell people the way I feel it, they will be convinced. And sometimes they're just not. And sometimes I don't have it completely right. And so all of us need to walk in humility and allow that person to have an opinion right? I, I mean, because there are times that Karen will yield to me when she doesn't have the same opinion, and there are times that I will yield to her when I don't have the same opinion. And we'll get to more about the reasoning of that in a little bit, but hey, you're going to have to understand that God wants to help us everywhere, and if we have to get our way on everything, then it's pride. It's an issue. It's sin. You know, even in marriage, Pastor Jeff, and I heard he did an awesome job last week on it, but, um, you know, t you, you talk about the husband being the head of the household, and the Bible says that. Um, but here, here's the deal. It's, it's servant leadership like Jesus. Did Jesus ever force anybody to do what he wanted him to do when he walked this earth? He gave everybody a chance to choose. He led by example he spoke the right way, he loved, and he did what was right, but he didn't insist that anybody do it his way. So any husband, or wife for that matter, right, in this culture, that insists, it's not, it's not the spirit of Christ. And uh, we, we ought to be able to love one another and care for one another. Proverbs 29, 23 says, pride ends and humiliation, while humility brings honor. And when we humble ourselves, we get better atmosphere in our home. So let, let's just segue to point two. If, if we're going to do well in our marriages and we're going to get along, we have to create a safe and caring atmosphere. What, what does that look like? A safe and caring atmosphere in the home. I... Um, I would just venture to say that often arguments 
happen because people don't feel safe, accepted, or appreciated, and um, they feel like they're being attacked. Here's what the Bible says. There's a few things about safe atmosphere. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15:1 says that exactly. A gentle answer will calm a person's anger, but an unkind answer will cause more anger. One of the first things about our home, if we're going to get it right in that safe atmosphere, is the tone of our voice. Right? When it elevates, it's a problem. Because uh, the purpose of elevation is most likely intimidation. And that's not the right atmosphere. Uh, An unkind answer causes more anger, it says. And a gentle answer will calm a person's anger. Now, there may be a few of you who, who are really good at these things that I'm talking about today. Most likely, some of you are, most of you are like me. I've really had to work on these things and I'm still working on these things a lot in my life. But here's the deal. We have to, it, we have to take hold of it and say, I want to grow and become what Christ wants me to become. And the ones who've probably done really well, you probably had great parents who taught you just how to do it in the home. And others struggle because they haven't had that. But all of us, no matter where we are, have to have hearts to grow. Here's some more atmosphere um, qualities. Be kind and compassionate to one another. So that atmosphere that is safe in our home is gentle with the words. It has kindness attached to it. And it has compassion for the other. Forgiveness is part of that. It's the second part of Ephesians 4.32. And by the way, Ephesians 4.32, which I have listed here in A and B, it's the memory verse on the card this week. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. That would be a great verse to put to memory. It's not that long and it's life-changing. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's amazing. You know what I've noticed? That when you memorize scripture, the Holy Spirit brings it back to your heart and mind over and over again. And when you don't memorize it, it doesn't jump in there. The Holy Spirit uses it. That scripture memorization. Um, this, the, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate therein both day and night that you observe to do carefully everything that is written therein, for then you will have success. Want success? Memorize, apply the word. And that, that's just a great, a great scripture. I, uh, I feel like, let's talk about forgiveness for just a moment. This might be an overstatement, but let me risk it a little bit. You know, you get to judge. Um, you knew that already though, didn't you? I would, I, I'm gonna just uh, venture out here and say that often or more often the lack of forgiveness is a bigger problem than the original offense in home why did God address it so much well how many times do we need to forgive well they asked Jesus that question and he said 70 times 7 the whole point is uh, you just need to keep having a forgiving heart Now, I know there's accountability, and that's a scripture and a sermon for that that might be an emphasis for another day. But for now, let's let's just take the word for what it says. Forgive one another. 
I heard a preacher say once, and I, I, I think it might be true, and he was a counselor, Richard Dobbins, who worked with Christian leaders all throughout his life. He's retired now. And he said, most marriages come back to the one thing in their big arguments. She's got her one thing that it just keeps coming out every time when it gets intense. And he has his one thing. Whatever the one thing is, maybe that's not you and maybe it's not me, but if it is us, whatever the one thing is, let's just, let's just deal with it now and say, that is under the blood of Jesus, just like my sin. It's covered. God forgave you. I'm going to forgive you. God's not holding it against me. I'm not going to hold it against you. Let's just deal with it and watch the marriage, watch the relationship get better. Um, see if you remember this story. I bet you do if you've been here long. Um, there, Karen and I had an argument. I hate to tell you that, but we, we argue sometimes. It's true. Karen always wins. I saw a guy at Disneyland had a shirt that had just two big words on it. Yes, dear. He is a smart man. That was, that's just it. Um, and I had, um, I spoke harshly to Karen and the Bible talks to men about that and says don't do it. And I think, it, it doesn't say that to women. I'm, I'm sure he wants that for women, but I think the reason he points out men when he says don't be harsh to children or to, or to your, your wife uh, is because we're more prone to do it with that macho thing. And so we have to watch it. And, and I don't even remember what the disagreement was, but we had one and it was, um, it was right, Aaron's room, he was five years old at the time and his room was just right outside the, down the hall right there and the door was open. And I went downstairs and, Immediately, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, wrong, you got it wrong. Go up there and apologize. You know, it's just a subtle thing. You know what the Holy Spirit does to me. And then I, I go uh, up to Karen and I said, honey, that spirit wasn't right. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And she did. Now, now one of the best things I've done as, as a dad and, and a husband is say I'm sorry. Um, I've had to say it more than I would like to. But, but uh, nobody ever respected me less because I did. And I don't know how you grew up and what happened in your life and why men and women can't say they're sorry, but often they can't. And it just causes things to elongate and uh, germinate and big, huge problems in life. Well... Um, I've, I've said I'm sorry and, I've, and my family's always loved me when I have and forgi forgiven me. As a matter of fact, I said I was sorry to Karen and I walked outside the room and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me again and said, your son heard that. He heard what you said to your wife. And I tell you, but I don't even remember what it was. I just remember it was not good. It wasn't cussing, I know that, just in case you're thinking. So I walked into Aaron's bedroom in the darkness and I knelt by his little bunk bed and I said, hey buddy, did you hear that? And he said, yes I did, he's five. He said, dad, 
God doesn't like it when you talk to mom like that. I said, I know, son. I've asked God to forgive me. I asked mom to forgive me. Now I'm in here to ask you if you'll forgive me for that. And he said, yeah, dad, I forgive you. Nobody's perfect. He's five. And I thought, who told you that? I I asked him, who told you that? He said, nobody. I've just been watching you. I want to be perfect. (laughs) Forgive each other. He forgave me. Karen forgave me. They helped me become better. I'm so glad they haven't held over my head forever the things I've done wrong. They, They propel me to growth in Christ. And hopefully, I propel them with that loving, safe atmosphere that says, I'm going to love you anyway. We're going to get better. And I believe in you. Third thought today, put a higher value on their feelings than your own. Talking about how to have a great marriage now. Put a higher value on your wife or your spouse's feelings than your own. That's already starting to chafe a little, isn't it? Wait, 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 wait. And we filter it through our American culture and philosophy. But remember point one, God's way. That's what we're talking about. Philippians 2, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Wow. In marriage, we're equal equal partners, right? That's what the Bible says, but yet he wants our mentality to be, Karen is better than me. And just so you know, she actually is. The point is, I want to be really concerned about how she's feeling. Right? And when we get into things with arguments, it's about our own feelings. Don't look out, it says, for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So here, here are the two things that are emphasized. I, I need to think of them as better than me in this circumstance. Their welfare is more important than my own. I need to let their interests take priority. We need to do the right things even if other people don't. We need to do the right thing even if they don't. The interesting thing is we help people grow when we do that. Most of your loved ones, if you'll have gentle answers and be thinking of them even in the disagreements, even if they lash out at you, if you don't lash back, most of them, they really don't want to hurt you and they'll come back and say, I didn't handle that right, I'm sorry. But then we both escalate and we got issues, right? Whenever we esteem the other higher than ourselves, it propels love to, love to greater proportions. Let's say that again. Whenever we esteem the other higher than ourselves, it propels love to greater proportions. I know you love your family. I know you do. But what we really need is for God to help us in those moments where it's just about to get heated to say, you know what, I really love this person. I'm concerned about their welfare and how they feel more than about my own feelings and my own welfare. That is a really great atmosphere in a home. That you'd have that kind of love to put the other 
before yourself. And isn't that the way Jesus loved us? It is. So uh, it's been a, um, a tough couple weeks for the Russell family. Um, we lost Jane, uh, Karen's mother. And um, man, she's just a, she, she was a precious, amazing woman. And Karen was close to her. I was close to her. And um, she passed away, and we had her memorial this past week. And as I was re-going over my sermon, because I had it semi-prepared, right? I have an annual planning retreat where every week when I sit down, I already have a title, three points, and some scriptures. That's how I start my week with the sermon. I might change them, but I had been with God before, and I, I have this overlay and this plan for the year, and this was part of it. So I sat down, I looked at this, already written out, and I thought... That's Alan Jane. These three things that I'm reading to you, the value of the word, esteeming the other higher than, than themselves, gentle, kind, caring, compassionate atmosphere. That's the atmosphere my wife grew up in. They had one of the best marriages I've ever seen. They totally loved each other. Uh, they were partners in life and they had fun. They had fun together, right? They just didn't see each other as meeting one another's uh, needs, you know, physically, sexually, otherwise. They, it was companionship with them. They liked to walk together. As a matter of fact, there they are walking together. My son took that picture a couple years ago. Out at Basket Slough, where they would walk many days before she passed. When Jane... Uh, just, just before she died, a week, week or so before she died, she, she, we think she went into a coma and there were some issues that, that um, sped up the whole process. So she's in pretty good shape about a week before she died. And, and she made a statement that, that I heard. She was talking to me. She said, you know, Stan, I don't have any regrets in life. <sighs> Who can say that? And she's not prideful, I'll just tell you. She's very, she was a very humble lady. But the reason she doesn't have any regrets is she didn't yell at her family. <laughs> she was kind, caring, compassionate. She esteemed them better than herself. I mean, literally, if there was something going on and she could sense that it was difficult for someone, she could change the atmosphere in that whole conversation just with the fruit of the Spirit in her life. And she was able to, I'm working on this one, not speak words when they weren't helpful. I guess what I'm saying is she followed this thing and she had really healthy relationships and it worked. It was awesome. As a matter of fact, she helped bring me one of the best gifts, actually the best gift beyond Jesus I've ever had, sitting right there, Karen. That loving, nurturing home that was safe. That heart to do it God's way. It brought incredible blessing. 
it's still bringing blessing. When I read this next passage, I think of her. And I'll bet you she had to cultivate love. I bet it wasn't just automatically there. I bet she had to make a lot of decisions, her and Al, to do things God's way. But this is what I've seen in their lives. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about the injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. God is love. Jesus came to show us how to live that love out. The Son of God came to be our example. And now we're trying to become more like Jesus, more like the Father every day by loving others the way he loves us.